0: Hello everybody and welcome to our sport and business leadership webinar. I hope you're well on this Wednesday wherever in the world we may find you. Now we've got a terrific panel assembled for the next hour for your entertainment and it will be entertaining, I can assure you. We may be talking about data and data analytics, but uh, I've already had a chat with our panel and let me assure you we're going to have some fun. In the next hour so i'll introduce you to our panel and uh, first of all i'd like to introduce you to charles senabullia who's Senabuglia. vice president as a service at sas uk analytics and with sas i think for more than a decade now i think i'm right in saying charles focusing on banking and insurance and financial services initially and uh, now very much uh, around executive management within the financial services industry And uh, Charles, just to say, you've definitely got a a very distinct interest in rugby, Uh, judging by a little bit I've I've been speaking to you already. You're clearly a a passionate man when it comes to rugby.
1: Yeah, certainly am. Thank you for that, Tim. I love it. Absolutely love it.
0: Great, so we'll be talking to Charles about data and rugby and business as well from SAS. Uh, Martina McCarthy is with us as well, performance director at Pentathlon Ireland and Sport Ireland Institute. uh, A sprinter uh, who uh, competed in the 2000 Summer Olympic Games on the track. Uh, So Martina, hello to you. Thank you very much for being with us. Do you still sprint or is it uh, more office based now like so many of us?
2: Just to get into work on time these days is the only sprinting I do at the moment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, Nick Scott is here as well, uh, Head of Performance Support at British Rowing, two years at the EIS in Loughborough and uh, the Olympics and Paralympics programmes there and as Performance Manager at the Royal Yachting Association. That, for me, sounds like the best job ever, the Royal Yachting Association. Uh, Nick, I've no idea why you ever uh, stopped doing that. That sounds a fantastic role.
3: Well, as with anything, uh, the truth is somewhat different from what you see on the outside. But no, certainly good and learnt a lot that uh, we tried to bring and apply in the other offsets.
0: Yeah, so still on the water from sailing has moved across uh, to rowing. And uh, finally, Pat Lamb is Director of Rugby at Bristol Bears, uh, ex-Connaught coach and Samoa number 8, uh, Premiership winner with Newcastle Falcons, Heineken Cup winner with Northampton Saints. And we also congratulate you, Pat, for your a moment uh, a month ago, winning the European Challenge Cup. Are you uh, still hungover or are you ready to go for a a new campaign now?
4: No, it was a great moment of inspiration for for everyone involved with Bristol Bears. It's a moment to move on and try and create some more moments this season. Yeah, well, look, thank you very much,
0: all all four of you for being with us this afternoon. And we're gonna have a, a good discussion around, I think your leadership styles, the way you use data in your roles and a bit about your sports and, uh, and what you get up to, if that's all right. So a bit about what you do and why you do it. So, uh, and do keep those questions coming in. So the uh, way to get your questions in throughout uh, this session, in this hour, is uh, to go to Slido. And uh, if you use a QR, you can, just use a QR you can just swipe your photo. And uh, you'll be able to get through to the uh, question and answers and the polls as well. So uh, the QR code with your camera and uh, you'll be taken to the page that you need. So that's the way to get in touch with us for the Q&A throughout the afternoon. Uh, now we've got uh, a little bit of research that we've done to uh, start things off. And uh, scary graphics perhaps, but I think we can uh, run through just a little bit of the detail that's come up from uh, some of the research that's been done. We've asked uh, a series of questions of business leaders and decision makers so executives and management level uh de- decision makers and business leaders and uh, some interesting uh, results have come up from that uh, and i'll just uh, run you through a couple of the headlines that for instance 40 percent of organizations are relying on gut instinct which uh, is an interesting one and a couple of other things an increase in the use of analytics uh, since the global pandemic began uh, of 33 percent so, uh, obviously the pandemic's created a fair bit of uncertainty and, uh, everyone turning to, uh, data analytics, well, not everyone, 33% of people turning to uh, data analytics as, as a potential solution. I'm really interested in data analytics, uh, as opposed to gut instinct. And just maybe to start with Pat, you could tell me, what do you understand by gut instinct in your world, in rugby, perhaps both as a player on the pitch but also as a coach or as a director of rugby, uh, leading a squad, leading a, leading a club?
4: Well, I'd say gut instinct is really your experiences. You know, when if I think about rugby, I think about the, the amount of experience I had actually on the field. And then, then as a coach, the more experiences that you have, the better your gut instinct is. But where da- data comes in, data... Reinforces or backs up your your gut instinct. So, I'll give you a quick example. I knew on the weekend that our physicality and our contacts was was really good, and then it was backed up straight away by from our GPS results and our stats that it was one of our better performances since we played Was in the last three games. Um, and also, I think probably where I I probably think more around. we are probably more data-informed rather than data-driven. So it's a big help to get clarity. It's a big help to um, help learning and development. But certainly gut instinct depends on the individual and their experiences that they've had. Hmm.
0: Uh, Martina, when you're working with athletes, do you encourage the use of data? Or do you encourage the use of gut instinct? Because I imagine you could get into a situation where it would become... I think paralysis by analysis is one of the expressions that goes around and you want the athlete to relax enough and go with their gut feel, but at the same time it's got to be an informed decision. So it must be quite a tricky balance to make.
2: I think there is a, a balance and it also does depend on the personality type of of your athlete. And um, if you have someone who's already quite anxious and you overload them with data, it does not help. When what you're trying to get is a flow state, a good connection, feeling and awareness of the body and someone who looks for external cues all the time can sometimes miss what their own body is telling them or what you're trying to prepare them for. But that also works as a really good educational tool to explain why you're undertaking training, why you're picking a certain route, why you're uh, maybe performing certain exercises in the gym. So once they can see from the data why it is they're doing things, they also will buy into the training program. So it does offer clarity, but you also still want to develop that human element of and that athlete's self-awareness and emotional connection to what they're doing. So there is there's a balance of both, but data definitely does help you inform what it is you're trying to do.
0: So it's going back to knowing the personalities and, and knowing your athletes well enough as to what they want. Um, it's interesting if you talk about uh, Myers Briggs type indicator or any of these uh, personality profiling. I suppose that might give you a clue as to what they what they would like and, uh, and what information they need at yes. any time.
2: Yeah, very much so. Like We we were on a camp um, about a year ago in the most beautiful place at Altitude, in the mountains, and we had an athlete who literally looked at their watch every 10-15 seconds to get feedback on contact time, speeds. And I just turned around and said, look at the environment you're in, look where we're at. This is not about, at this moment in time, knowing the exact feedback of everything you're doing. Take your watch off. And actually be in the environment, become engaged in where you are, and we'll think about the data later. But it's just again separating for the athlete um, that feeling and awareness of the connection to what they're doing.
0: Yeah, uh, Nick, in the GB rowing camp, and I'm trying to play question of sport here. I think you've got a picture of Heather Stanning, and I presume off shot we've got a picture of Helen Glover as well. Uh, two quite different personalities who had an enormous amount of success uh, in a boat together, and. I think, of the GB rowing squad, you've got some of them who number crunch all day, don't you? I think Mosa Bihi is renowned for loving stats and data. Uh, And and others, I think Will Satch might be another, I don't think I'm letting any secrets out here, who who prefers the whole gut instinct and the the more raw side of it. Is that fair? You've got very different characters in the camp who deal with data in different ways.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I guess the, the core thing with sport, And to be honest with a lot of businesses i think is that actually we're in the people business so we have to target what we do based on the people that are in front of us in order to get the best out of them so having one single way of doing things is is never going to work for everyone so you have to be able to adapt and flex based on who you've got in front of them and what they need in order for them to take the next step and really that's that's the art of coaching for me is knowing what you need to do when to get the best out of someone and using all the tools at your disposal and I guess if I go back to something Pat said, I thought he stole it from my book. I don't know if you've been reading my notes, Pat. But um, for, for us, we're, we're not data driven. We're data informed and we use data to help us make decisions. But ultimately we have to make the decisions and not expect the data to tell us what the decision is we have to make. I don't know if that was a shameless plug of your book or not, Nick, I'll just gloss over it. I couldn't quite
0: pick whether that was a, a plug for Yeah, All well, good but...
3: retailers, all good retailers, Tim.
0: Excellent. And some dubious ones as well, I'm sure. Um, and uh, Charles, you come at this at a very slightly different angle. Um, but I'm interested in how much of an investment is required from an organisation, business, sport, wherever it may be. Whether you feel a big spend is needed to get any sort of return on the investment or you know, do you need to spend squillions of bucks to, to, to make an impact? Or Because I think that would initially maybe um be some people's uh sort of reluctance to get as involved as they might in, in uh, data analytics
1: no it's, i think it's it's fair but i think you know what i would say it, it doesn't have to be some big massive or squillion as i think you called it type of upfront investment you know organizations can start small and then really start to understand how analytics can help them tackle a very really specific business problem or an athlete or around their performance issue and increasingly you know with analytics it's available via the cloud so organizations now can really quickly access what they their analytical needs according to to what they really you know what was required and they can they can dial up or dial down you know the amount of usage so no absolutely you can you can start really small with the, the very small very very small investment. We'll talk a
0: little bit more about the impact in in a few minutes' time. So, a couple of the headlines there: forty percent of organisations relying uh, still on gut instinct, and a thirty-three percent of uh, an analytics increase. If you like, there's a, a net increase since the pandemic has begun, which perhaps isn't a, a massive surprise. And uh, if we move on to the next slide as well, you've got uh, a couple more graphics here that we can have a little look through. I mean, clearly. And I'm feeling it right now. I think we're all feeling it regularly, uh, those of us who are working from home, that must have changed leadership styles for all of us. Um, Martina, perhaps, uh, I know you're currently, I think, in the office, aren't you? But uh, a lot of the Um, people, your your stakeholders um, have to be out at home and you're managing them remotely, managing virtually. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how you're finding that.
2: I think initially there's, there's the initial phase of everyone just have to um, get used to working at home and then understanding the d- demands that people have when they're at home versus in the office. Like as you said yourself, children, dogs, family, who's around, what their time constraints are. So it is again understanding from each person's perspective what their new environment looks like and a, a lot of that is around communicating with them, spending the time, to get to know what's happening with them at home and what, what they can help deliver for you. and. I think my leadership style, I, I see myself as a coach. I'm, I'm first and foremost a coach, I'm, I'm involved in sport all my life. And my aim is to help people be better and to unlock potential. So again, you just look at the constraints and the environments that people have at home and how they work and then form your plan around that. And I think for us, we, we had a lot of our um, systems and platforms and how we utilize our data set in place so that really did help that we still have access to the same platforms a lot of the same data a lot of the same analytics it's just from a different location what has changed for us obviously is our face-to-face coaching with athletes we weren't able to deliver in in the same way so we had to come up with either virtual methods or, or change in terms of communication on, on how we deliver those sessions to athletes and again there was different um, D- different athletes wanted different ways of doing that, whether that be through Zoom, through Teams, through whatever methods of communication. So again, it was figuring out what it is that best helped people do the jobs they needed to do from, from this new environment. Which you may sound very straightforward, but it's very
0: and energy-consuming. what you just described, isn't it? You have to consider so many factors to make sure it's tailor-made, your, your communication and leadership style for individual athletes.
2: I think the, the advantage of being in a sporting environment is you spend a lot of time together. Um, you're in a very, very tight-knit um, environment. You really do know the people you work with and that helps then when situations change or you end up in different circumstances, those initial relationships or the relationships you have, you're then able to just move them into a, a different context. What it is, I think the sporting environment is a, a very close knit. you spend a huge amount of time together and so you very much do
0: get to know who you work with yeah pat i'm sure you uh were recognizing some of those sentiments uh, the the time issue and being a very close-knit group for for such lengthy periods
4: yeah it is i mean i suppose when covid hit i think the biggest thing um and we've learned a lot of different ways of coaching and so forth but i think the biggest thing that we did like anything was have a plan i mean we we can't remember coming back after a game we uh we played harlequins but we actually had a break and then we were told we're going to go into lockdown so all i did quickly got everyone all the heads of department in and key leaders in our management and we came in and we sat down with a plan and said right we've got to look i want you i I warned them to come in but come with their plan for their areas and we put together um and this is why i'm really pleased with the staff a real phenomenal uh overall plan for everybody whether it's um how we can measure uh so that we can tick off the physical the the mental and the well-being and and i think the overall writing uh goal was to mitigate against the risk of injury by the time we come back and that was an unknown and everybody um once we got the plan and everyone knew we got all the players and we told them what was going to happen. And then suddenly all the GPS, everyone got GPS, everyone got equipment. We talked about the social media platforms, how we're going to connect. But I think the biggest thing for mental health was keeping routine. A lot of the guys in the team, um, are uh, all routined on what we have. So we ended up having, um, our normal team meeting every morning at eight 30 that we do staff and players able to connect do all the social things, have a bit of fun and get all the messages out. And then guys uh, ended up doing coaching on video, sending it into the coaches who could give feedback. We could all see it, so it was a it was a, a really uh, interesting thing. But I believe it paid a big dividends when we finally did come back. Uh, our injury rate was low, and players were ready to go and perform. And you know, and I think a big part of our success was 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 uh, being organised on that. And it's a real credit to the staff.
0: Yeah, I was going to bring Nick in in a moment because I know the GB uh, rowing experience is one that we can all learn from. But Martina and Pat, uh, Martina first, it it could be the differentiator, couldn't it? Come Tokyo 2021, as it may be, who's dealt best with this bizarre set of circumstances that we've all faced? So nation to nation in your case, uh, club to club maybe. Um, If you've got a well-organized routine in place and you've managed to Sort of maximize this as an opportunity rather than as a huge disadvantage it, it could make the difference in gold and silver or uh you know a trial or not whatever it might be in your, in your own world martina
2: i, I think hugely and as i said off, off camera before we started what this what covid has afforded us is the opportunity is, is time and time is so precious in high performance sport and we looked at it as the opportunity of we've been given an extra year to prepare we've been given time to reflect on our program to see exactly where we are. We have no competitions over the space of eight to 10 months, which is unheard of in sports. Normally we would be competing every six to eight weeks. So we now have this block of time. How best can we use it? Where are our gaps? How can we plan around this? For our younger athletes, it was very much framed as you now have another year to develop your physical qualities, your technical qualities, your tactical qualities. You will be once a year better of an athlete. Or our, our, our more older athletes who may have been thinking about retirement we had to work a little bit harder to reframe how they thought about this extra year and um, again just picking one or two key areas that we could highlight look you have an opportunity to improve this is where your standing is versus your competitors this is what your training data is shown and we we're able to put together very very clear plans that we were all agreed on and were committed to over the last couple of months and what we found is in some of our key sports We've had significant improvements in physiological testing and PBs over three kilometres and five kilometres, and it's been a testament to how they've applied themselves through this time, but also understanding we could go after certain qualities that we wouldn't normally um, get the opportunity to do. So we really did reframe it as, in, in, in the most horrendous pandemic that was going worldwide, we were going to take opportunities from it and really, really engage in areas we wouldn't normally get the time to do.
0: Pat, have you seen that some benefits that otherwise wouldn't have been uh, taken by by players at the club?
4: Oh, without a doubt, Martina's right around time and making the most of that time. But I think, like anything in life, you know, we are who we are through the adversity or the tough times that we we go through, and um, and it is fight or flight. And I think. Well, for a lot of the players and staff, you know, people were losing jobs and every people, you know, being affected in one way or another. They realised actually, I'm very privileged. I'm very privileged to have this opportunity and the job that I have, and actually, I love the job that I do. And I saw a real shift, uh, you know, for for, for for some people around their mindset and then their um, and taking ownership. And, and normally, I have a theme for every year. And I couldn't have not. I couldn't have. <laughs> With COVID, you could say the plan was it actually worked out really well because my first year was all about focus for the team, was around relationships, build the relationships, get to know each other better. The second season was around um, uh, uh, challenge. what well, if we know each other well, let's challenge our standards and so forth. The third season before COVID hit was well, not September, was about ownership. Let's own our development. You know, everyone says we get spoon fed. Well, let's make sure if you want to achieve something, take ownership of it you know, everybody. And then when COVID hit, well, there's only one thing you've got to over make a decision, I'm going to own my development in isolation, I'm going to own this, or I'm going to give up. And so a lot of good came from it. And if anything, when guys have come back, everyone's in a completely different mindset from it because of it. Sounds like you got a bit lucky with the timing there, Pat. I'll put that uh,
0: European trophy down to luck in that case. (laughs) OK, yeah, ownership is absolutely what it's about. Um, Nick, I've got to ask you, I've been really interested in the GB rowers and how they've reacted to this. Because I think the first thing that happened was um, the guy who uh, looks after all your kits and the transporting of the boats all around Europe regularly had to drive around everybody's home and drop off an ergo so that they could all train at home. And from there, you put together some pretty rigorous and detailed plans. Just explain about uh, GB rowers training in their back gardens with gazebos up so they didn't get sunburnt uh, all on their own listening to terrible music.
3: Yeah, it's interesting hearing Martina and Pat and and their uh, their reflections, because there's so much common, I think, because everyone was facing the same thing, weren't they? And we all had to just deal with what was in front of us. And from that moment when lockdown happened, um, it was just the same for everyone. Everyone's in the same boat, whether in the same storm and it's how you've faced it. And I think the, initially it was just crisis management, really. It was like, right, the Olympics, we don't know if they're happening. We've uh, we've got to get kit out to people to keep training. Otherwise we're going to lose the edge. Um, and it was all hands to to the deck, grabbing all the kit we could, getting it out, getting people so that they could keep training in the real short term. Uh, and every, like so many people had to get in their cars, load up, Get kit around in order to make it happen um the the next phase then was really one of right let's try and think about what we're, what we're doing like what what are the problems what are the things that we need to take this opportunity to address uh now given that we still don't know if the olympics are gonna go ahead because at that point in march we really didn't um and it's going back to your routine uh routine comment pat was that that was a big thing that the the athletes said they valued was the consistency of the program but also with a bit of flexibility too so uh, the program that was shared had like specific sessions but also like free optional sessions where you had to work with your coach and with your physiologist to understand what the best thing for you was and how you use that session in order to improve your own profile so moving from what's quite a rigid structure in Caversham before lockdown to having a lot more freedom and ability for people to really look at what their gaps were and, and look to fill them and so this whole idea of this is an opportunity like you've got a chance eventually to to do olympic year again so how are you going to use that opportunity and what are you going to do differently to to try and close the gap on the rest of the world and Nick, tell me a little bit about the technology
0: that you've employed so that you could stay in touch with the athletes, both as people. So I'm guessing you have the odd Zoom meetup uh, and a more social meeting style, but also their data are churning out. So I know you uh, work them hard and they have to sit on their ergos for hours at a time. And you at HQ like to keep an eye on what sort of work rates they're pumping out. And, and perhaps this ties in a little bit more closely with the data analytics and the GB rowing partnership with SAS. Tell us a little bit about the technology you've been using over the last few months to enable you to do your job effectively.
3: Yeah, so it probably um, locked down in a way hit at quite a good time for us because we've been in uh, developing our data infrastructure and all of our tools behind the scenes for a long time. So for four or five years we've been trying to improve how we collect, store and analyze data um, and. Mm-hmm. The, the challenge that we were facing uh, in its implementation was this routine idea, and we had an, a fixed way of working that people were comfortable with, that delivered what was needed in the short term, uh, and therefore there was no real need to change. And I think when lockdown happened, that the world the world changed and the need changed, and suddenly we had to do things differently. We couldn't rely on collecting information by being physically present with someone. We had to find different ways of of getting that information and looking more longitudinally about how people were progressing in order to help them actually plan their optimal sessions, better, optional sessions better. So um, the using tools like uh, like Google, the Google suite which allows multiple people to input into to uh, sheets and databases in order to collect data and then plug it into our data store and look at longitudinal trends over different kind of physiological metrics that we captured. Um, became kind of normal so people were used to looking at okay this is how my standard UT2 session is progressing over time uh, and therefore I can feel comfortable with where I'm at or I can speak to the coach about maybe tweaking my optional session in order to get a bit more out of myself before the end of the year and I think the real the real benefit that that we all saw from that was athletes taking more ownership so not being spoon fed and actually kind of having to reach out and engage with their coaches and with the support staff to get the most out of them um and also also actually in results so i don't know if people would have seen but um we had one athlete tom george break the british record uh the 2k ergo british record in his garage uh, and then two months later Mosabihi then took it off again so uh, so just the the ability to train effectively in lockdown was clearly there and it was because of everything that it bred in terms of behaviours and how they engaged with their, their coaches and their support team. With technology as it is, you could almost run the Olympic
0: Games out of people's garages all around the world, couldn't you? In a strange sort of a way. Yeah, <laughs> Might not be imagine that. <laughs> let's hope it doesn't come to that. Um, uh, so just a quick reminder that we are running a poll this afternoon and we're very keen for you to get in asking questions of our panel. You can take the discussion in any direction you like. So if you go to Slido and then scan the QR code with your camera, uh, you'll be taken straight to the page. It's ever so straightforward. So just get on uh, to Slido via the QR code with your camera, and then you can ask questions, get involved in the conversation. And uh, we've got a couple of uh, good questions on the poll as well which' we'll be interested to get your take on uh, around about pro sport uh, what most synonymous with data analytics I wonder which pro sport do you think is most synonymous with data analytics and um, do you believe an effective data analysis is vital to a team or an athlete's success I think we can uh, get an idea from our panel that they've got it as a very high priority and perhaps uh, more so than ever at the moment, Charles, but with these circumstances that have changed in 2020, uh, you must have uh, experienced some, fr- from your end of things, some interesting requests. And it must have been a, a fascinating time to be involved in, in, in what you are.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely was, you know, um, you know as we entered March and, and we saw what was happening in countries like Italy and France, you know, we very quickly as a business formed a small group to really start to, a little bit like what Pat said, you know, discuss and assess what approach we were going to take if, you know, our government did something similar. And and right from the outset, we really wanted to be proactive with our communications and engagement with every single employee. And this actually resulted in us making a decision to to close our offices um, right across the region, UK and Ireland, before the actual national lockdown was officially introduced. And then in those, I guess those first few months, you know, we had regular calls with everyone, and it was, you know, as well as giving people the position in terms of where the business was, we wanted people to, we wanted to encourage people to ask questions about anything they had on their mind, and it was really important to us to make it a two-way discussion. Uh, but it was also really important to strike the balance and, and make sure that we weren't overloading everyone with too much communication. And I think you know, I think the, the guys on this panel have talked about this, which is it's really important to take care of the small details because those are things that really matter to people. And and for us, it's it's their home working environment. So for example, you know, we we gave people access to the offices to come and collect an additional monitor or an office chair. But we also really focused on well-being and mental health provisions and making sure those people were aware that we had them and that they were available. Um, and also the availability of things like our, um, you know, mental health first aiders, and also trying to help people remind them about how to stay and the need for them and the importance of them to, to, to stay connected. And, and we use an internal communication channel called, called Yama. And that was just, you know, us internally in terms of, you know, the business. But, you know, the pandemic, you know, it really had an impact on, on businesses as they were suddenly forced to kind of pivot from their business as usual. And we're now facing all sorts of New challenges and uncertainties Uh, and this was very much the case with with all of our customers whether it was a retailer suddenly trying to figure out a completely different level of demand for certain products i think we all saw the news around toilet rolls or banks worried about defaults on loans and liquidity levels etc so we as a business had to become really agile and come up with new ways and and ways we could help uh, some of which were completely out of the ordinary so i mean if i've got a moment let me give you a couple of examples so We worked with uh, HMRC and we helped them to implement the job retention scheme. And this was effectively involved reversing the normal pay-as-you-go taxation system so that employees could receive payments under the furlough scheme. We were also able to play a role in assisting healthcare organizations from across the globe in trying to fight the pandemic. And one example of this was we we worked um, uh, and, and had a global huddle that was hosted by the NHS's future collaboration platform, which is a sort of sharing information platform for health and social care organization, research communities and local authorities. And and that session, you know, we brought learnings from the region, um, region Stockholm in Sweden and the Cleveland Clinic in the US for them to share their experiences in tackling COVID and how they're using SAS to, to drive policy and oper- operational changes to save lives. You know, we also, another good example was, you know, we helped AstraZeneca improve delivery of their webinars for between, I think it was 50 and 100,000 health practitioners from around the world. And this was really, really crucial because these were opportunities for information sharing on how to treat patients, particularly where countries, you had some countries at a more advanced stage of fighting the pandemic, and they could now pass on expertise to countries yet to experience the worst of it. And beyond these challenges related to COVID, it can be used to solve um you know it's all the different challenges that are facing different organizations whether and it doesn't matter what industry they're in and that you know and that includes you know sport and that's you know why for me i'm personally really delighted to be working alongside you know british rowing and and sport island and you know we're delighted that you know we were able to announce that sas will continue to provide its world-leading analytical solutions to british rowing until december 2021 through the rearranged olympic and um Paralympic Olympic Games um, and this is a partnership that goes back um, you know I think Nick might have mentioned to, to 2014 where we worked on various data projects ultimately why it's all to help the boat go fast and to help British Rowing become more you know data-driven and an insight-led organization and then our partnership with you know sport, the Sport Island Institute is for us is really about how do we help them enhance their training and ultimately improve performance in areas like you know swimming and, and boxing and, and again you know ahead of the um the tokyo olympic Games. so uh hopefully that gives you a little bit of insight Tim.
0: yeah it's so interesting your work in wider industry and then in your work in sports i'm sure when the two come together you find that the the sport folk are always busy trying to learn as much from the industry uh, and industry are busy trying to learn from sport because there's so many crossovers and inevitably sport people are more interested in getting as much out of the industry as possible and vice versa. Do you, do you find that you get caught in the middle of some interesting conversations, I imagine?
1: No, I, I think absolutely. and I, But I think, you know, what is what is common? Yes, you do get that, But what is common is, I think, what we're talking about, some of the things we're talking about today, which is leadership. And I think everyone sort of said it, which is it is all about people. It's all about the individual. I know Pat talks a lot about, you know, the Bristol family and the collective. And that's similar to, you know, us as SAS. We do see ourselves as a, as a family and it is it is all about the individuals knowing the individuals and i think what we've seen through you know through covid is from a leadership perspective is really really make people much more aware as leaders about taking time and interest in the individual themselves you know what makes them tick their dreams their visions their challenges and and, and their worries um, and you know one of the things i found and i say this a lot with You know, please, whatever you do, be kind to yourself, because I think that's something that we've really seen with the pandemic. People have forgotten about being kind to themselves Um, and, and, and that, you know, that's that's been important for us.
0: Well, you've led me on perfectly. Uh, I wanted to ask each of our panellists about their leadership style. And I asked this with some trepidation because I once asked uh, Joe Root about his captaincy style and his leadership style, the England cricket captain. Uh, and he said, well, don't ask me, ask the team. Uh, and actually that said it all really, doesn't it? There's a good awareness of uh, you know what, why he's in it and what is important when you're a leader. Um, Pat, can I start with you? Because uh, obviously you enjoyed a, a stellar career as a player. Uh, and have made the transition into to coaching and, and being a director of rugby look, look effortless. That, that I'm sure a lot of work has gone on behind the scenes. Can you try and describe your your leadership style and, and how it's evolved?
4: Well, I think if you define leadership for me, and, and there's a great quote from uh, John Maxwell, that leadership is always the answer, it's always the problem, because people always say, "You, who's the leader? I always ask this question, who are the leaders? And not everyone puts their hands up. But basically, leadership is the ability to influence people. And I can influence you all the way down this way, down the wrong way, or I can influence you down the right way. And I think the biggest thing for me, um, is making sure that relationships is the key, you know, the, the closer, like I've just met you all. I don't really know you guys that well. You don't know me that well, but the probably the best way to define, um, the closer the relationship, my beautiful wife is unbelievable people. But the way she speaks to me when she's angry with me, if I've done something wrong, you'd never speak to anyone else on this world. Now I see that as a massive privilege because I'm the chosen one. That we're that tight that she can say how she truly (laughs) feels. And I talk about that a lot with the guys, is that the more we know each other well, the more um, you know, we can be honest with each other. Now as far as leadership style, it's it's round, but built around relationship. But as a school teacher, I always talked about the continuum around. Do I put my arm around the person or do I wave the stick? Being able to go up and down. Now, which one do I use? Well, that comes back to how well you know the person. And it's about making sure that everyone, staff or players, is valued, respected and appreciated because people love their jobs because they feel valued, respected and appreciated. People hate their jobs not because of pay, because they don't feel valued, they don't feel respected, and they don't feel um, appreciated. So making sure that um, constantly, and, and trust people. I mean, when I said, to, I asked people often, what did you think I asked? I asked Steve Lansdown for four things. What do you think they were? And people go, money. I said, that was number four. And they say, oh, players. I said, that was number two. But number one is staff, quality staff, because you need the experts in all the different areas. Now I have the bigger picture of what I want to achieve. But the experts are the ones that come in and my job is to empower them make them feel valued appreciated, and respected and then they run everybody else the same way and then we collectively we come together and we can achieve some amazing things so um i like to be honest with people but you can be more honest with someone when you know them well so uh, it's interesting. i was interested i know it's pc you're not allowed to ask are you married and all this sort of interviews i found i see them all the time like i told pat you can't do that so i just say look i'm not looking for an snc person right I am looking for the people like this person here, who is the head of his he's most important to me because I know about him. I know what's important to him. So can you tell me a bit about yourself? And then they come out and they tell me a bit more because that's important. That's really important to me. And I know Pete, the world says you can't do that, but as long as they volunteer that information, it's great. And, and we've, I believe just recently with all the people that have come in and that I've interviewed and brought through regardless in all the different areas, is based on them not only what they know but more importantly them as people
0: and martina um same question for you really a, a leadership style because again you've made the transition from and i'm always interested in this with particularly with individual athletes so a sprinter i know you're in a relay team uh, back in the day but mm-hmm. fundamentally a sprinter is a a solo occupation you're on your own and you have to be uh, and forgive me for saying this quite selfish and quite focused on your own performance Uh, well you do don't you to make it at the level you did you have to be very very focused on your own game and then suddenly you're in a world where you're leading a group and you have to be selfless rather than selfish and you have to try and um make sure that other people are enjoying success and that's not always an easy transition for athletes to make i don't think um how have you found that transition as a leader
2: Um, i think actually my experience in sevens rugby really helped me in a number of ways as you said when you're an individual athlete you can call it a selfish endeavor but you also have a lot more autonomy over what you do in some ways you select your team you select the coach you want to work with you select your nutritionist your psychologist etc etc and if you're not happy with that situation you can change it the big learning for me when I moved to a team sport is I now worked for that team or for that coach and if, if I wanted to be part of the, the National Sevens team, if I didn't like the coach, or I wasn't in agreement with the coach, I didn't just get to change the coach. That wasn't my, I now worked for an organization as opposed to the other way around. So there was a big learning for me of moving from an environment of almost complete autonomy to then being part of the team and understanding the culture of that team, the relationships within that team. And I felt for myself, I lost a little bit of my freedom and creativity. So when I became, Uh, As part of my role or as as part of my leadership role, I like to afford freedom to the people I work with um, within the confines of the constraints of the plan, of the overall plan we have. But I love watching people innovate, be creative, feel that they have a real purpose in the roles, but they are contributing to the overall overall goal of the plan. Um, I like agitators and disruptors who feel that they can challenge decisions, but then will to an agreement and move forward as one when we do make that final decision so there's there's a democracy almost or there's a, a coaching element but um in the understanding that when we have agreed a plan that we can move forward together but i think moving from that individual to team environment taught me a lot about what i felt i either gained from being in that team environment but i also felt i lost as an individual athlete i try and bring those learnings and experience to my role as as a leader within this organization. And just to touch on something Pat said as well about those relationships with people, with the lead athletes, you see them at their highest high and their lowest lows. And you see them at their most vulnerable moments in time. And that takes a lot of trust. And and that's, you really do get to know a person at at the most basic level of, of how they operate. And that's like, that's a privilege as a human being to work with those people who will allow you see that level of vulnerability and it's 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 on us to to work with that trust and and to always have the athlete's interest at heart above your own because they are literally affording you their dreams their hopes their ambitions at its at its most basic human level of trying to perform at the peak of their performance and for that to work so many variables have to come together and you you're almost you're helping facilitate something for that athlete, um, and that's that's a huge honour and it's a huge privilege. But you have to be very, very mindful that you're helping them deliver something. That yes, it helps you, but you're you're involved in the work of just getting people better and, and doing whatever it takes to, to facilitate that. Yeah,
0: um, Nick, I don't think anybody noticed Heather standing taking out your right shoulder just there. We'll just gloss over <laughs> that. Honestly, no one. Everyone, everyone was no. absorbed with what Martin was saying, so it wasn't a problem. Uh, so I'm going to ask you the same question. Uh, what uh, would you consider to be your, well, actually, not, not just your leadership style, personally, Nick, but also um, GB rowings, um, because, you know, you've had some absolute uh, legends there, haven't you, over the over the years. Jürgen Grober is the, the name that springs to mind, who's enjoyed so much success at the top level. I'm wondering uh, if you can tell me a bit about the environment and the leadership style that's uh, on offer at GB rowing at the moment.
3: Yeah, sure. So, I guess, for for me, personally, my from quite a young age, I found myself in sporting leadership roles. So whether it was coaching from the age of kind of 16 um, through to first management role with um, with the uh, Royal Yachting Association, at kind of mid twenties. So from the very start, I have I've found myself in leadership roles, but not really understood what it is and what it means. Um, and therefore like look, making the most of the people around you and understanding what others do very deliberately in order to achieve certain things as a leader was kind of the thing I value most. Um, and I could, I could tell you now what, what I think my leadership style is, but I think because of that journey, it's constantly changing and as you try and do things and you, you stress test them with the people who you're leading and, and bringing on the journey with you, and um, you find the things that work and don't. And so, uh, I think that's coming into to British rowing. Um, for the last 18 months and having over a year with Jürgen, that certainly was just an amazing opportunity to see how a master does it, but he, the greatest of all time in terms of rowing who uh, has yeah been in the sport for 35 years and winning medals all the way through and being able to pick out, for me, it was the, the clarity of purpose of what needs to be done right now uh, and coming into every day with a real intent of what matters right now. That's what Jürgen was so good at and being able to see in any given person whether that you need to go hard or actually you need to step back a bit or put your arm around or give them a stick um so I, for me that's what i took from, from jürgen and i think if you look at the journey of um british rowing it, it's it is a transition point if you look the the senior leadership of the program has has changed with brendan coming in as the performance director and i think for him the, the most important thing to him is that everyone who does this understands it's a privilege and has a real sense of purpose as to why. And not that we're just doing this in order to win medals for the sake of winning medals. There's a meaning behind that pursuit. And it's not actually the shiny thing at the end of the day. It's how it affects like you and your sense of meaning and worth, but also those around you. So it's not just the winning. It's also the how you go about winning and how you affect other people's lives. Uh, along the way and I think that that's the big shift in the program now is being able to to keep both of those in sight where it's like yeah we still have to have really high standards and expectations of what we're trying to do but also know that it's more than just the outcome It's how people it's leave the program and and what they experience along the way. We've talked quite a lot about the human
0: side of it and the values and the principles beliefs philosophies I just for the last few minutes want to go back to a bit more around the data analytics and I'm guessing here, but Pat, from your coaching style, I think you've become more and more um, intrigued, perhaps is the word, or curious about what data, what edge it can give you as a as a team, uh, as a club. Um, where do you, where did that initially start? I mean, when you were a player, would, would you have had the same attitude towards uh, data analytics, or, or is that something that has evolved as your coaching experience has, has got greater?
4: No, well, it goes right back to the very beginning because of the, the big word is why. Why are we doing this? Why do you want me to do this? Why, 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 why? And the biggest thing here is when I, even when I come over to every job that I've gone to, the first thing I go is find out who the analysis and I don't have. And when I arrived at Conic, for instance, um, the analysis room was tucked over here and the, the budget was so small so i said to the analysis guy get to go and find out what does munster leinster and ulster have how much they spend what sort of resources we have got and i quickly put a, a slide together send it to the rfu and said if you seriously think that connet's going to compete at all i would like to at least have the same as this and we put a lot more money into that area why because the Greatest, uh, there's a great saying that the only competitive, sustainable advantage we have is the ability to learn faster than the opposition, and we all learn completely differently. But the um, whether that's through footage or through statistics, and people need to be sold. And I'll give you a real small example you know, you go into a breakdown, a player needs to be low. Now, if I go to him and say, mate, you got to drop your height, there's no doubt the player goes, Well, I think I'm low enough. But if I just show him and he has a look, he goes, Oh, I think I need to go lower. So to raise self awareness, and that's what data does. And but everything needs to be geared to it, and even simple things. So when I look at putting the whole program together, this my game, and I never bring the game down to the players. The players need to come up to it. So then I have all the heads of the department, and they've got to be experts in their area. Everyone uses data. It's a simple. I give an exa- example. It's um, you know, for training decisions. Who's going to train? Um, and players uh tap in all their feel-good scores into um team weeks that we have now we know that closer calf injuries and hamstring injuries are the uh, most common normally 90% of the time it's preceded by by a a, um, a back injury uh back pain so we have things where with anyone doesn't meet certain metrics the, the physios are able to have the discussion with the trainers and so forth. They come and talk to me, and we normally pull them out of the session. And, but there's stats on every part of the game, key KP, uh, KPIs for the game, for the S&C guys, for the medical guys, and the illness, and it all comes together to uh, to help drive the improvement of the individual, but more importantly, collectively as a team. So it's a big part of what we do.
0: Yeah, all that intel and uh, how you use it, I suppose, and what you share with the player as well. You wouldn't share all of it with the player, I'm sure you'd, uh, you'd be selective with the data.
4: As long, I think there's key things you attend. So I always say to the analysis guys, if there's anything you're doing that we don't use as coaches, let me know. I don't want anyone wasting time or wasting money. I'll go back to what Charles said at the beginning. You know, how much do you need to spend? It all depends what you're trying to get out. What are the outcomes you want? Always think of the game or the end in mind and then work back from there and if this you could have the fancy equipment but what's it producing what outcome is it producing and if it's not producing what you want then it's a waste of money um or or we're um you know we're, again we're not using it as well as we should so um you know that's that that's an important thing to get the understanding and the why charles i know i mentioned earlier
0: you're a massive uh, rugby fan I'm sure you may have a question or two for Pat so go on do uh, fire any questions you've got Charles directly the <laughs> opportunity
1: yeah no thank you for that so this you know I've, you know I've watched you play um, you know I've watched your career watched you coaching from uh, connaught and what you're doing down at Bristol uh, when I when I came to the UK the um, when I came to the UK over 34 years ago uh, I lived in a place called Taunton which is just down the road from, from Bristol. So, um, you know, it's great to see the return of Bristol. But I think my question would be, you talk a lot uh, you talk a lot about the collective and the individual and how you are trying to create a, an environment and a culture that supports both. But when you've got um, the collective and your clear ambitions and visions for for Bristol and this community, and then you've got players that you brought on um, like Rondrandra and do you bring big characters
4: some superstars how do you how, how do you between the collective and the individual um every time a player arrives uh, or before even arrives, i do a one-on-one and i always start off as what's your big dream now depending on that dream if it's before i recruit them i d- determines if i'm going to recruit them or not And then after I find out what their big dream is and bring everything out about where they see them, who's the best rugby player in their position, finding out um, where do they sit, if he's a 10, where am I, 6, how can I, you know, what do you need to do? But then I normally then go through, this is what we're about, this is what I'm about, and what would you like from me? And once you get all of that as individual, and then I explain that don't come to Bristol if you you just want to win rugby. You know we're about inspiring the community this is what we're about and people are signing up not just to play rugby but with clarity on what we're about and what we're trying to achieve then they arrive here and then charles peter who looks after the community portfolio in our leadership group who applied for the job got the job and he fires out to the boys, for, there's a school that would like to visit, Who would like to go, and I'm seeing all these guys going, bang, 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 I'm in, I'm in, or we're going to go to the hospital and see people or the old people's home. It, the players are driving it all, but people are going, wow, the players are awesome. That's because they all signed up to what we're about. And I think that's the important thing is that they, understanding what we want to do as a team, but more important for me to understand what they want to do. And I always say it has to marry up. So when I normally have these meetings with players, I say, you don't have to come to Bristol Bears, but if you do, you've got to ask yourself what your dream is. And I want to give you clarity about what we're about, and it has to align, because if it doesn't, it won't work. And normally they say they'd like to come.
0: <laughs> Which is a good thing. Your <laughs> recruitment's working. That, that's good to hear, Pat. Um, Charles, you're a very brave man, uh, confessing that you're, you lived in Taunton. I think Taunton may be a few miles closer to Exeter than Bristol, but we, we'll switch move <laughs> you need to question the on that. Um, Martina, just a quick one. I'm trying to get through as many of the questions that come in on Slido, and thank you very much to everybody who's uh, pinging those in. Um, here's one What do you see as the biggest opportunity to use data analytics to improve the performance? of a team so it's quite a general uh, broad question but not a bad one with uh, three minutes remaining of our discussion uh, to go for so is there any single standout point um, where you see an opportunity or a gain from uh, the use of data analytics within a team
2: i think one of the biggest teams that are one of the biggest areas that people always want is you want your players available so prevention of injury or reduction of injury issues are hugely important because you want to be able to pick your best 15 on any given weekend and as pat said how they use their metrics in terms of um recognizing uh, red flags potentially around injuries having profile the players profile the injuries collecting those metrics every day gives you the opportunity to have your players healthy and um, ability to train more that consistency of approach so um for me the the, the uh, that is a huge benefiting factor for for the collective team is actually having those people available by using those metrics to ensure that your your injury rate is as low as possible within the team. Yes,
0: yeah. and uh, Nick, just to finish uh, from you as well, the same question for you. Is there, is there one bit of data that you have? I know you have an enormous amount of data flooding in every day. What, what's the first bit of data that you, you go to? What, what's your, uh, your go-to data?
3: Well, I think there's a, going back to the last question, actually, there's a, a real opportunity in uh, the world of rowing to, um, to use data to inform uh, that bigger crew selection. So if you imagine a, an eight, say, you've got eight different people plus a Cox, uh, all of whom need to be perfectly in sync, need to have the right force profiles in how they um, deliver their stroke, uh, and need to be fully connected. And there's a lot of feel that goes into that at the moment. And um, it's experience. It comes from coaches understanding what they need to see and what they don't. And we have the instrumentation to be able to add insight to that with data and to be able to model potential combinations that can then be considered by a coach in order to then make a decision. So for me, that's, that's one of the key opportunities going forward is how we can start to simulate different ideas and combinations for then coaches to look at, consider and make informed decisions on. Yeah, so making everything more objective and less subjective, I suppose, a bit more measurable. And uh, actually that yeah, chimes Yeah, for me it's, it's adding, um, so I was going to say it's just, it's adding information to help people make better decisions. So it's not taking Absolutely. away from decisions, it's adding information to help the decision making process. Yeah, aiding the decision making
0: process. And that chimes perfectly with this question that we've just had in uh, using data analysis to recruit athletes uh, looking for value beyond the coaches or agents opinion and valuation so that's exactly what you've just answered uh, there so thank you very much for that um charles just to finish because uh, we have only got a couple of minutes left it's a fascinating area isn't it and i, I think uh, what we really can clearly see from this discussion is that the crossovers between business and sports and you know sports obviously is quite a glamorous world to work in um and uh, there's a lot to be learned from sports and from business as well that just to sum up if you can all, all these particularly with data analytics in mind all these crossovers
1: have a big question to try and answer very quickly. Um, you've got about 30 uh, seconds you'll be okay <laughs> I think I think for me I, I think probably I think what I'd want more people to leave to leave with is you know you've got data you've got analytics. You know when you combine that with understanding the individual, be that an individual in terms of the person or an individual situation or an individual business problem, what you can actually achieve by actually combining all that different experience, understanding, and insight to then be able to make a better decision, I think, becomes a lot easier. You can, I don't think you can do one without the combination of, of the others, particularly, you know, if I use. I think Pat's Pat's uh, expression, if I can remember it correctly, you know, how can you learn faster than the competition? You know, that is your competitive edge. How do you do that? And I think that's a combination of data and analytics, but really understanding the individual.
0: Well, look, thank you very much, uh, all four of our panelists: uh, Charles Senabullia from SAS, uh, Martina McCarthy, and Nick Scott and pat lamb as well if we were in normal times we'd be on a stage and there'd be uh, whooping and hollering and uh, huge rounds of applause and the shout of more 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 uh, but not today uh, so just imagine that and thank you very much really appreciate your time and your fascinating insights into your lives and your leadership and your coaching and your use of data analytics so uh, thank you very much for your time and good luck with all your various projects over the next 12 months i wish you all the very best uh for all of those that you're undertaking thank you very much for your company this afternoon we've got more information on sas.com so if you want to find out more then sas.com is the place to head i hope you have a really good day and thanks very much for your participation